My guest today is David Burkus. He's a best-selling author, sought-after speaker. He's a good friend of mine. He's the Associate Professor of Leadership and Innovation at Oral Roberts University. And I've asked him to come on this week to talk about his latest book, Friend of a Friend. And it really gives tremendous insight and science into networking and how to build value and get value from networks. We're going to talk about the biggest mistakes or misconceptions people have when it comes to networking, the connection between Kevin Bacon and networking, and specific things that you can do to deliver the most value to your network. You're going to learn a ton from David Burkus. David Burkus, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Can you share with our audience something surprising about you that they may not know? So uh, th- this is one, depending on how much people choose to research me afterwards, they'll find out pretty quickly. But um, so I have my only hobby. I'm a terrible, like I can't just go run or go swim or something like that. So my only like athletic hobby is for the last 12 years or so, I've been active in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, including competitions and what have you. I have a black belt in it. And if you get on YouTube and you search deep enough in my name, you will find videos of me losing in spectacular fashion to some <laughs> of the world's best Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors. So uh, yeah, that I mean, it's, it's surprising for sure. I will tell you, it's been kind of fun because like when you're in like a high-stress negotiation with somebody realizing that, like, I could reach across and choke you unconscious I, I, right I now. I could choke is this a really, guy out right a, now. Yeah, it's a wonderful <laughs> confidence booster. It really is. My, my uh, our 17-year-old son is really into Muay Thai, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and it's just, um, so he does a lot of MMA, and it's just, um, it, it's it's fascinating and frightening to me as a parent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's actually that, that's actually pretty. I mean, it's a jujitsu is particular is a, is just a beautiful art, um, but it can also get fairly brutal. Yeah. Um, the irony though is over the long term, I actually think the rate of like injuries and things like that is is less. Like, um, I get people that that are running all the time that are like, oh, I can't come do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I'll get injured. Like, you're in the worst possible sport for your knees and feet, and you're telling me about being injured, but. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful art and it's a great way to stay in shape. And it's sort of like full contact yoga. Like everybody's talking about mindfulness right now. It's really easy to be mindful when someone else is trying to choke you unconscious. <laughs> David Burkus on full contact yoga today on the same side <laughs> song podcast. This is awesome. So, um, though, though many of our audience may be tuned in to hear about full contact yoga and Brazilian jujitsu, um, I'm most interested to talk about your latest book, Friend of a Friend, and the insights that you share in there about networking, because it really, as I was reading it, it was like, wow, that's fascinating. That's exactly the opposite of what most of us think. So to start off, what's the biggest mistake or misconception that people have when it comes to networking? Yeah, I would say the the biggest mistake or misconception is sort of uh, I think we use the wrong mental model for a lot of us when we think networking, 
we're thinking that networking means meeting strangers, that it means running up the the list, of the contacts that you have, right? Running up the score on LinkedIn with the most connections, right? Or having the biggest stack of business cards in your desk that will never get looked at, et cetera. Um, what's funny is this is also why people hate networking, right? In, in reality, what I tell people a lot of times is that you don't have a network. You can't grow your network. You can't you know, expand your network, et cetera. Because you don't have one, you don't own it. You exist inside of a network already. Your industry, your sector, your city, it's all one big network that you're a part of. And the sooner you realize that and figure out that your job is navigating that network, not quote unquote building that network, then things go better for you a lot faster. So so what do you mean? So the 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 stereotypical person who is quote building a network, what are the things that they do? that are counterproductive, they just don't realize it. Yeah, so I mean, one of the big misconceptions is this idea that if I'm building a network, that means that I just need to meet as many people as possible. And so you hit up the networking event, uh, you you have this goal of talking to a certain number of people, you practice that perfect elevator pitch so that you can beautifully describe what it is you you do in you know in less than 10 words and wow the other person and in reality most people if you if you've had a decent sized professional career let's say longer than like 3 years most people actually already have a network that they're missing out on big opportunities for so in the book one of the first concepts we talk about is the concepts of weak and dormant ties in other words yeah new ter- perfect strangers are great sources of information that you don't already have, right? Because if you did, they wouldn't be strangers. They're a great potential for all of that. The problem is none of them are motivated to help you because you're a total stranger. And like anybody that's tried to do this, building rapport instantly and going immediately to some referral or, or introduction to somebody else and what have you, it's incredibly difficult. But in your network or in the, the, the network that you're a part of, there are these weak and dormant ties, people you know, but you don't know that well or you haven't talked to in a long time that provide just as much new information, new potential referrals to, to other uh, sources, new potential introductions, et cetera, uh, except they know you already. So they're motivated to help you. So you get kind of better help and more uh, value out of those weak and dormant ties than you do out of trying to add to the number of people that you know. So for most people, the, I mean, the big mistake that this all leads to is running around getting frustrated at those networking events when in reality, if you spent like about 15 minutes a week reaching back out to two or three of those people, even if it's something as simple as saying like, you know, Ian, we haven't talked in a while. I was thinking about you today because I saw this article. I hope you're doing well. No reply needed, right? Something simple like that, that well, even though you said no reply leaded, we'll probably get a conversation going. And even if it doesn't, you've showed up on their radar. So now you're occupying mind space in their mind again. Little things like that actually go way further than trying to meet as many new people as possible. Yeah, one of the most fascinating things that, that when I was reading Friend of a Friend that jumped out at me was the notion of, look, it's the people who were the tightest, closest people in your network may not provide the most value to you and vice versa compared to those dormant ties. So, so why is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're certainly the most motivated to help you, right? Cause they're sure. close to you. The problem in, in network science, there's this term called redundancy, 
which is exactly what it means. Most of those connections are redundant to you, right? So they know the same people that you know. They have access to the same information that you have access to. They know about the same opportunities that you know about. There's not a lot of chances for new information in those close contacts. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows the same sort of thing. We all think alike, and therefore most of us are unnecessary. It's the weak and dormant ties that are somewhere else in the network. They're way off, further removed from you. A lot of times I use sort of the imagination of space, how far out they are from you as a, an indicator of this is where they are, who they're talking to. They have a different close-knit circle. The odds that those people don't think like you, that they don't know of the same opportunities that you know, they know of different ones, are way higher than those close contacts. Sure, your close contacts are more motivated to help. That's why it feels better when we go reach out to them. That's why it's easier to do things like you know, when you need social support, for example, or you need someone to really just kind of like help you pick the dust off of getting knocked down and, and get back out there. Those people are great for that. But for identifying a new opportunity, a new whether it be a potential business, introduction, lead, referral, whatever, those people are not as useful to you as those weak and dormant ties because they just don't know as much new information, as much things that you don't know, than do your weak and dormant ties. Got it. And and so let me ask you this because this, there's something that I've been teaching people for years and I'm okay if it's totally wrong. So um, one of the one of the concepts that I that I share with people that I want to get your thought on is instead of describing to people what it is that you do, get really good at articulating the problems that you solve. Meaning, gee, if you find someone who's in this circumstance or this circumstance or that circumstance, those are the people I can help the best. As opposed to saying, oh, I'm a tax accountant, and rely on people to understand what that means and who would need a tax accountant. Because otherwise you're waiting for someone to say, hey, do you know a tax accountant? And they go, well, I do know somebody. But if they said, oh, man, you know, I'm getting killed on, uh, on this, this tax that I didn't think I was obligated to pay and now they're saying I am, and you go, oh, yeah, if, if people have that uncertainty, this is the go-to person for that. So have I been giving people bad information my whole life? No, in fact, I'm actually in a in a tax battle right now with the state of California. So if you know someone like that, I would love to know them. No, I, I think that's good advice. I, I if I if there's one sort of zombie idea, right? So it's an undead idea. It has no validity to it, and yet it still keeps coming. Um, that I I wish I could. I don't, do you you don't drive a stake through the heart of zombies. You behead zombies. I think I don't really. I'm not really good. Yeah, at that we can old. Google that. Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but I but that I wish I could. I could could fully kill. It's the elevator pitch idea for, for two reasons. One is the one that you just said, right? When you have this perfect scripting of this is what I do, it's a lot harder for somebody else to make the mental connection to someone in their sphere that they uh, could re potentially refer you to. The, the other is that like j the sheer number of odds that if you and I meet for the first time and I give the perfectly worded elevator pitch on what I do, the odds that it's what you need are really, really slim. And this is why I think most people get frustrated when they're actually at one of these networking events, even if they're they're an accidental networking event, like the cocktail hour at a conference or, or something like that, um, where they're not like a traditional networking mixer, but they're where new people interact. The problem with that elevator pitch is like your odds that that person even knows, like even has that problem are really slim. They may know someone else, uh, which is what you want to take advantage of, that Absolutely. one or two degrees of separation out. So I love I love what you're doing there. I actually... I go a little bit different route in that I prefer to try and figure out what their problem is and refer them to someone in my Absolutely. network yep. first, right? But I'm sure that I mean that's probably the next page of your curriculum, right? Yeah, you know, you know um, what? That's something that that's something that our friend Derek Coburn um, talked about in his book as well. Was this notion of look if you're first looking out for somebody else, 
you're way better off. I think too often we all see people at networking events who do the social equivalent of stand on the table, pump their chest and say, hey, check me out. And then they're surprised that no one's interested in what they have to say. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly right. And, uh, it, and, and it gets even worse when you take it over to social media, which is really just one giant cocktail party with people jumping on a table, pounding their chest and saying, look at me. Um, but I think, I think that's exactly right. I think, again, I love this idea of problems. I just think it's a two way street. And I think usually if you're trying to make a first impression, genuine interest in the other person, and then an attempt to solve their problem, that generally makes you more memorable than whatever you tell them about the right type of person to refer them to. Does Brilliant that make insight. sense? And, and yeah, and my, my guess is if you're at a networking event and you say, hey, so tell me a little bit about what it is that you do. And the person tells you, and you say, so who are the what, – what's the ideal client for you? What are they going through? What are they facing? And yeah. it may be the first time that person's ever thought of it. And then the law of reciprocity says they're probably going to pretty quickly say, so, so David, what do you help people with? <laughs> and, and, then, and then now you both leave saying, I know who's a good fit for that person. Once you connect each other, it's, there's not necessarily a, a sense of obligation like, well, they connected me. I got to connect them. It's just more people see the value of, wow, David connected me to this person who is valuable to my business. And then yes. you start saying, you know – He's a good guy, and he was so valuable. I'd love to be able to reciprocate, not out of obligation, just, wow, he was so helpful. I'd like to be able to help him too. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, the, the only thing I would add is that I think it goes um, a tiny bit further in that you can go that route or you can ask the, you know, what are the struggles that you have in a business like that, which is not, okay, now I'm thinking through my sphere of people that I know, and I'm not thinking for a potential client for them. I'm thinking of a potential, you know, consultant, yep. tax attorney, somebody, right. somebody else. So it's really just about opening yourself up to as many possibilities as possible so that you can make that one connection. And then, yeah, I mean, you can leverage raw paucity. I, I, Adam Grant would use the term matcher here where like, yep. don't be a matcher and think you owe me one. But from a strict network science perspective, there's this concept called social capital, the value of the network that you're in, the community that you're in. And one of the best ways that you provide value to that overall network is by adding additional connections, introducing people that are in your sphere to people that aren't. And the more – like, I mean it's that exact sort of network effect that we always talk about with fax machines where the first fax machine was useless. The second one was like, OK, now it's kind of useful. But it really didn't scale until – Everybody had one, and now it's totally useless because only like seven people still have one. Although they still insist on faxes, it's the weirdest thing. Um, when 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 someone someone says, "Can I fax you something?" I'm like, "Well, wouldn't you rather just page me?" Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, precisely. But the point is that like there's there's value to having as much interconnectedness in that network as possible. And if you're seen as the person that's creating that value, things will go well for you. It's not, it's almost a, a broad sort of karma thing. I can't point to the exact source, but when you're known as being that person, that's always generous, that's always giving, that's always making those introductions, they come back to you in some, in I, one way or another. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I've got a philosophy on this that says, if you're constantly looking out for other people, it inherently builds trust in those other people that you're not just a self-serving um, knucklehead. And so all of a sudden it's like, you know, I think this is, I think this is Ian's area of expertise or David's area of expertise. And they're more confident, confident referring to you because they know that if you're not the right fit, you're going to instantly refer them to the right person. 
Yes, exactly right. And and I think especially when you go in to all of these situations knowing that, then you're less likely to be disappointed. Like when you write a book about about networking and network science and the number one thing you get is people who tell you their horror stories of networking events. And beyond just the general discomfort with being in large crowds of people, the biggest disappointment is like I never get any useful business from it. I never get any of this or that. The point of those those meetings is not to find an immediate thing. I had someone actually, when I was launching the book, send me an angry email because there was nothing in the book about how to meet someone for the first time and immediately turn them into a sale. And I wanted to be like, brother, you got this all wrong. Like, here, send me the book. I'll send you a refund. Don't ever buy anything that I write again. Like, please <laughs> stop because you got it all wrong. It's the totally wrong – the, the, the opportunity for in those situations is creating value, creating more social capital and trusting that those things will compound over time and it will eventually come back to you. I can't draw an immediate ROI chart. I can't tell you how to wow someone and turn them into a sale immediately because those things don't work. What works, I, just like in investing, is over time. Yeah, I, you know what? I agree completely. It's brilliant. Now, explain to me the connection between friend of a friend and Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a huge disappointment. It really is. So uh, if you're familiar with the concept of six degrees of separation or if you're a total movie nerd and you're familiar with six degrees of Kevin Bacon, it's this idea that you can connect anyone in Hollywood to anyone else. And what I think is interesting about it is that the six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing mirrors our initial thought about how networks work and how networks operate. So Gladwell wrote about this like 20 years ago with the tipping point that there were these super connectors, these people, and they were the reason that networks were connected. One person was like the bridge between everybody. Um, what we actually know from looking at massive scale, like big data networks is that there's actually lots of little people bridging those gaps and networks have this uh, level of resiliency to where you can connect anyone in Hollywood through any, anyone else. Kevin Bacon is actually the 669th most connected person in Hollywood. So it's not really all that great. What I love about that 669th, is that 669th, not the 670th, not, not, Yep. If you take, if you take, I think it's, it's, it's of male actors. If okay. you take male actors and you rank them by how many people they've been in other movies with and what have you, he's 669th. <laughs> and the number, number one is a really esoteric guy. I forget his name. He's dead now, but it's really cause he was in a variety of different genres too. Yep. Um, the point, the point is that the network of Hollywood is so resilient that anybody can be that bridge that connects multiple people together. And this this has then been proven in larger scale networks in industries and in countries across the whole world. If you have a Facebook account, for example, you are only four to five introductions away from anyone else with a Facebook account. They actually did it um, through there. It basically used everybody in their network to build out this model and showed it. And it's not because of that one person who's always connected to everybody. It's because everybody changes jobs. Everybody uh, sometimes moves cities. Everybody has weak and dormant ties. And those weak and dormant ties are the bridge to that friend of a friend connection, which means nobody has an excuse, right? There's no, oh, I don't have a big enough network to think about these things because, again, you don't have a network to begin with. You exist inside of one, and that network is so inter interconnected that, yes, you can find a path to just about anybody that you need to meet. Our sponsor is the super cool MailTag.io, a Chrome-based extension for Gmail that, that allows you to track and schedule emails. 
you get real-time alerts as soon as they open your email or click a link. Try it for free for 14 days. You don't even need to give them a credit card. I asked for a special offer for our listeners, and boy, did they deliver. Just use the promo code Ian and save 50% off your MailTag subscription for life. For more info, check out MailTag.io or get more information in the show notes. So share with me this concept that you write about in front of a friend on clusters, because this whole this whole exercise of the three columns was fascinating to me, and I think our I think our audience get a lot from it. Yeah, so so humans uh, humans cluster in networks. It's one of the first things we see in in all networks. And what I mean by clusters is it's not egalitarian where everyone is connected to everybody else. We gather around similar backgrounds, similar you know trainings, job function, uh, ideology, ethnicity, gender. We we cluster for a lot of different reasons. And that's actually a really useful thing. Um, we, we know this, that every network needs some amount of clustering for information sharing, for improvement and what have you. But it also creates, I think, two opportunities, especially for entrepreneurs that are incredibly valuable. The, the first is that if you can be the bridge between two clusters, you actually you're, you're introducing communities of people that don't normally talk to each other then you become uh, an incredibly valuable source of information for both communities and, and things go well for you. Um, the sociologist Ronald Burt, who came up with this idea, actually says that the people that span the gaps between two clusters are at the greatest risk of having good ideas. They could just come up with ideas for ways that they can serve those communities and make money serving those communities more often. Um, the other thing that happens that I think is really good is that once we know people – cluster, you can kind of lay out a, a map, a plan for how you're going to get known in that smaller community. It's really hard with seven and a half billion people on the planet to be super popular, but you can be known as the person, the trusted source of something inside of that cluster. And so this is a bit where we get uh, with the activity with the three columns. Uh, there are actually multiple activities with three columns in the book. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I'm not sure which one exactly you're referring to? I will say this: like it's it's a couple different systems we have in the book for auditing your network and finding out how embedded into one community are or how likely are you to be that bridge. And so you you can basically I always tell people the quick and easy way. So combining a couple different activities from the book together to audit your network is to make a list of the top, let's say, 25 people that you interact with. And then in as many other columns as it takes, you can figure out, okay, who intro who introduced you to that person? Are they all coming from the same person? Well, then that person is probably the bridge between two clusters, not you. Or if they're all coming from different people or you just happen to meet them, then that's a good sign that maybe you are. But you can also use the columns for things like, you know, what context, what similarities do you have that give you an idea of how um, deeply embedded into one cluster are you or are you that bridge uh, between them? So again, it depends on your strategy. That can be a good thing or a bad thing, but know which one you're doing. I think too many of us, whether we're trying to grow our own business or whether we're working in sales for another business, what have you, we think networking is this, this scattershot approach. Just meet as many people as possible and trust that we'll get as many referral, referrals as possible. When in reality, what we need to see is where is the community of people that I serve gathering and how can I get deeper into that community and or be the connection between that community and the community that I represent, uh, that I sell for, that I have a business for, so that I'm at the best risk of having access to information from both sides. Got it. And and David, let me ask you this. So if for, for people in our audience, whether they're senior executives, um, leaders in the sales community or individual contributors, where's the where's aside from 
running out and buying friend of a friend, where's a good place for them to start? If they say, you know what, maybe I haven't built the network or I haven't been aware of the network that I have or adding value to it or whatever it happens to be, whatever their frustration is, where's a good place for people to start? Say, you know what, if you take this first step, it's going to put you on the right path to really being more valuable and in turn getting more value from your network. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll, we'll come full circle. I actually think for, for most people, unless you have a system in place that's doing this, the best thing that you can do is develop, develop a habit of reaching back out to those weak and dormant ties. So I give a couple different ways that you can do this. My favorite way is I, I call it Facebook roulette or, or LinkedIn roulette or whatever. Whatever social network you have, if you're connected to work contacts on especially – Usually if you pull up a list of your connections, they're sorted by most frequently interacted with. So you pull up that list, you scroll to the very bottom and you find that person you haven't talked to in nine months. And that's why they're at the bottom of that list of connections. You click on their, their account and what is their account? It's a list of them announcing things about their life, posting that they just got a new job or they have this new opportunity or they now offer this service. It's, it's basically people broadcasting what's going on in their life. If you scroll through that for 20 to 25 seconds, the odds that you'll find something that can make a connection to whether it's, Hey, I just saw that you're moving to Chicago. Like you can skip every other deep dish place. Gino's East is the best little, little reasons like that to, to reach out to somebody. You can find that pretty quickly. And then, and here's the key. Don't click like, don't comment, don't whatever. Go to a more intimate medium. Send them an email, pick up the phone and call them. Text message if it's appropriate for the relationship. Do something that's a little bit more intimate than where they announce that thing so that you show up on their radar in a more tangible way and begin to be in that habit. Strive to do one or two of those every single week. We're talking about a 10 to 15 minute commitment. But if you can get into that habit six months from now, you'll be amazed at what things you weren't even aware of opportunities that come on your radar because you're reaching back out to those weak and dormant ties. You know, I, I love it. And the thing I want our audience to make sure they hear is that notice that David's not saying to do this and then ask for something or do this with a purpose of asking for something for you. It's about maintaining that genuine connection with people as I'm sure is yours. One of my least favorite things is someone reaches out to me on LinkedIn and says, Oh, I see we share a common connection. I'd love to connect with you. And I connect in about a nanosecond later, I get, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the spam purgatory for lack of a better term where it's like, Oh, and I have this and I have that. And They'll even couch it in the context of, I want to add value to you. So here's this survey I have in this white paper and all these services I offer and something you can sign up for. And I'm thinking, I don't really understand where that's a benefit to me, but I appreciate the theme. <laughs> or, or my favorite, the now that we're connected, I'll go ahead and take your email address and add it to our newsletter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, so, so we don't need to beat that in the ground. Just anybody listening, don't do that. It's a slimy thing to do. And, and I'll disconnect from those people. And occasionally I'll write about them in an article. So, um, oh, well, maybe keep doing that to Ian so he has more content to write about. But please exactly. don't do that to me. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, David, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and connect with you? Okay, so the single best place to find out more information would be the show notes for the Same Side Selling Podcast at ianaltman.com. The, the second best place would be davidberkus.com where we have all sorts of resources, info about the book, first couple chapters, worksheets like the three columns one, what have you. But, but really, Ian wants you to go to his show notes page. He wants you to say nice things about him in iTunes. He wants you to do all that. And so I'll ask for that for him. 
uh, go go to the show notes for this episode, and then he's going to link to everywhere else That's anyway. Awesome. So go there. Exactly, and and the show notes will in fact link to uh, to your page, and we'll have all the detail in here because I I always have this image that people are driving. I don't want them writing stuff down. It's like go to the show notes. Everything's in there. Um, we we invest to make sure that we've got complete show notes for people, and uh, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom, man. It was great stuff. Oh, man, thank you so much for having me. You bet. And for anybody out there, if you don't already have copy of Friend of a Friend, if you get it and don't like it, send me a note, and I'll buy it from you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Remember, that's in, not me. Exactly. I'm, I'm buying enough copies from sleazy salespeople uh, <laughs> that I don't want you to be like. So, yeah. All right. Thanks again, David. Thank you. David shared so much great information. In fact, at the end of each of his chapters in Friend of a Friend is a section that says science to practice to make sure you can take the concepts and apply them. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply from this episode. First, recognize that your closest ties are somewhat redundant. So try and connect to the people and rekindle those relationships with people where you're a little bit less directly connected or maybe less recently connected. Make sure that you deliver value and express interest in what other people have on their plate and what their challenges are rather than pitching what you have. And then think about those clusters. Find your top 25 and then who introduced you to them and what's the context. It'll give you insight into how your network is structured and where you can add the most value. Remember, this show gets the direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest you think I should have on the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, especially your customer.